Welcome to the One Player Podcast. I'm your host Albert, and this is episode 5. Puzzle games, and what the heck, dexterity games too. Today's episode is going to focus mainly on puzzle games. I'm also going to touch upon dexterity games, but I won't have much to say on that honestly because I don't know much about them. So puzzle games are games that are designed for two or more players, and generally all the players are trying to solve the same puzzle. You're basically looking at a board or a bunch of pieces or something and trying to figure out how to solve the puzzle the fastest or maybe the best. These games tend to work for solitaire play because you can just sit down and solve the puzzle by yourself and treat it as a puzzle instead of a game. A lot of times there's a random setup so there's a lot of replayability you won't see the same puzzle over and over. However that's not always true. I'm also going to spend a little time talking about a puzzles by a company called Think Fun. They make a lot of puzzles that are really neat and very tactile and will probably be interesting to anybody that enjoys puzzle games. Finally, I'm going to try and review Ricochet Robots. It's a game designed for 1 to 10 players according to Board Game Geek, but it could be played with more than that easily. At least as long as they could all fit around the table. So. Let me give you an overview of some puzzle games and dexterity games, and then I'll jump into the first segment, which is Think Fun. So as I said, puzzle games are games in which all the players are trying to solve the same puzzle. You generally can look at the board and there's a certain layout, and you're trying to solve it. I think the best way to show you what I'm talking about is by giving you some examples. The first one is Ubongo, which is actually a series of games. In Ubongo, players are trying to fit Tetris-like pieces into a, a shape board, and they generally only fit one way. The, there's a bunch of pieces, you don't use all of them each time, and there's multiple boards, so there's a lot of variety. However, it's not infinite variety. Um, each Ubongo is a little bit different. The one I have is called Ubongo Duel, and that one, each player has the same board, and you're competing to finish it faster and I think you gotta finish seven boards faster to win. In the other bongos there actually might people might be playing on different boards. Either way when you're playing it as a puzzle you just get to pull out one board and try and fit the pieces on it. One more thing, in Ubongo Duo you roll a die after you select your board and it's a 20 sided die and I'll give you a set of pieces to use and those are the pieces you're trying to fit on the board. So each of the 10 boards the game brings has 20 different possible combinations to play with. And on the flip side of the board, you have a, a larger board you're trying to fit pieces into. On the front side, there's four pieces that you have to fit into the shape. On the back side, there's five. So it gets a lot harder. Another game is Pentonimals. It's actually not that different from Ubongo. The same, it has the same sort of go. You're trying to fit pieces Tetris-like pieces onto a board. The biggest difference is these pieces are large wooden blocks, or in Ubango there were tiles. And the shape you're trying to fit the pieces onto in Pentaminos are rectangular in shape, while in Ubango there are different shapes, generally not rectangles. Another puzzle game is set. In this one you're playing with a deck of cards. Each card has a pattern on it. The pattern can be made from ovals, diamonds, or squiggles. The pattern can be solid, 
hollow or dashed and there could be different colors it could be green red or purple i think and you basically have one of each combination there's one card that has two green ovals that are solid and there's another that has two green ovals that are hollow and another that has two green ovals that are dashed so what you do is you lay out the cards on the table you lay out 12 cards and you try and find three cards in which each of the patterns are all the same or all different. For example, so you might look for three cards that have a diamond, a diamond, and a diamond, or three cards that have a diamond, an oval, and a squiggle. However, diamond, diamond, and squiggle will be bad. Again, the symbol has to be all the same or all different on the three cards. So when you play solo, you can lay out the cards on the table and just look for the patterns and when you find three cards that have that pattern, you pull them out on the side and add three more cards to the pile. And you basically keep doing this until you've gone through the whole deck. Another game is What's Missing. This is a little tiny game that brings, like, I think, something like 30 or 40 cards. Every card has the same picture on it. However, each card has two things different with every other card. For example, there's a picture of a cottage in the woods and a tree and some mountains in the back. So one card might have a white bunny rabbit and the other one has a black bunny rabbit and that's one difference. And also the first card might have a log next to the tree and the second one doesn't. So you're basically looking at the two cards trying to find what's different between those two. The back of the cards has a different image that's harder than the front image. But basically that's all you're doing is you're just comparing two cards looking for what's different. Finally, there's also Boggle, an older game by Parker Brothers. You shake up a, a cube full of dice that have letters on the dice. They, they land on a grid, a 4x4 grid, and then you try and find words in there. So next up, dexterity games. As I said, I don't have a lot to say about these. However, I don't think they're that different from puzzle games. In puzzle games, you're challenging your mind. In dexterity games, you're challenging your limbs. With dexterity games, you're generally going to be competing to build the tallest mountain or pick up all the sticks without moving the ones on the table or flicking your car around a track and trying to finish faster or better than your opponents. So, let me see. Some examples of dexterity games include Jenga, in which you're building a tower of blocks, pitch car, in which you're flicking your car around a track. In Balzac, you're trying to build a tower of pieces, however, they all have odd shapes. That's also true for Animal Pond Animal, which you're trying to build a tower of animals. Sorry Sliders, you're again flicking pieces on a board. And there's a new version of Sorry Sliders that's similar to Pitch Car. It's themed on the, the Cars movie that just came out. There's also another game called Villa Paletti, which I believe is sort of like Jenga. And then you have a tower and you're taking pieces out of it little by little. And you're hoping it doesn't fall. So there, there are a bunch of dexterity games out there. If anybody has more input on that, I'd love to hear about it. But let's go on to the next segment. Next, I'm going to talk about ThinkFun. This is a company that publishes puzzles. They make uh, logic puzzles and spatial puzzles and that sort of thing. They also make kids' games. 
The company has won numerous awards for many of their different puzzles and games. Some of the puzzles they make, I think, are very game-like. It seemed appropriate to talk about them in a podcast that's talking about games that feel like puzzles. They've been in business for about 25 years now. Uh, the company started in 1985. When the company started, their mission statement was to translate the brilliant ideas of the craziest mathematicians, engineers, and inventors into simple toys that can be appreciated by boys and girls around the world. Their early puzzles remind me of Rubik's Cubes and similar puzzles from the early 80s, such as Pyraminx or Snake. Their first puzzles were designed by William Keister, friends of the founders of the company. These tended to be logic puzzles and not quite the same thing as what I'm planning to talk about a little bit later. However, they've got some other puzzles I think are more appropriate for this show. These are generally puzzles that have a board with multiple pieces that you're moving on the board in different ways. What I'm going to do is mention some of these puzzles chronologically. Most of them are probably still in print, but I think a few you'd have to go look on eBay if you want to find them. In 1992, they released two puzzles called Izzy and Izzy 2. They were both designed by Frank Nichols. These are puzzles that have tiles, and you're basically laying the tiles on the table and making patterns with them. And uh, In Izzy, they're black and white tiles, and each of the four corners of the square tile has a different shape. And as you're building it, it sort of feels like you're making a map in an abstract sort of way. And it's just kind of fun to lay out the tiles and play with them. Izzy 2 has fewer pieces. I think it's something like 16 or 24. And the pieces have four colors. They're diamond shape. It's divided into four parts. And there's a different part in each color. And again, you're just laying them on the table next to each other, trying to come up with different patterns by matching the colors on each side. Also in 1992, they came out with Brick by Brick, designed by Ferdinand Lamartink. This puzzle brings, I think, five pieces. They're sort of Tetris-shaped, and they look like bricks. The puzzle also brings, I think, 60 cards with different puzzles on it, and your goal is to, to build the pattern shown on the card using the pieces by arranging them in different orders. I think some of their best puzzles are like this one, where you have a, a deck of different puzzles to solve using all the same pieces. In 1995, they published Switchback by Ira Friedman. This puzzle, it's hard to describe in a podcast, at least it is for me. But in this, it's a square box, it's flat, and inside it has pieces that slide left and right. Eight pieces stacked on top of each other, going up the, up the board. And they slide left and right, and they have channels in them in which a marble can fit. And the goal is basically to slide the pieces left or right so that you could slide marbles, roll marbles up and down, and eventually get them in a certain pattern. And the the book brings, I think, something like 30 or 40 patterns also you try to get. I found this one really hard. It's really fun to sit there and play with and just try and see what you could do. The following year, they came out with Rush Hour, designed by Nob Yoshigahara. This is a, you've probably seen this at the store before. You basically have a, a board with a grid on it, and you place plastic cars on the board, either facing horizontally or vertically. The cars could slide back and forth, but they can't move sideways, like normal cars. And the goal is to get the red car off the board. The thing is that cars are blocking the red car, and you have to slide different pieces around to, to manage to get the red car out. Starting with this game, 
the deck of puzzles that you have to solve are ordered from beginner to expert challenges. The beginner ones are basically teaching you how to play the game and just kind of get you a feel for the basic moves. By the time you get to the expert puzzles, they're really hard to solve and take at least a few minutes to do. There's also a few expansions for rush hours and variants. They've got a, a railroad theme one, a safari theme one. They've got a rush hour junior. I have two kids, they're three and five, and they both love playing with rush hour and all these different puzzles because they're very tactile. They've got really colorful plastic pieces and the kids can solve the basic puzzles, but they love just playing with them. Rush Hour is a, sort of a landmark game, I think, for Think Fun. You can find it at most stores. This one's definitely one that's fun to play and worth looking into. If you want to try it out, you can download it for your smartphone. There's a Android and a iPhone version, iPhone slash iPad. I played a little bit with the Android version the other day, and it's definitely neat, but it's not as satisfying as the holding the little plastic cards and sliding around the board. However, you can try it for free. Another satisfying puzzle is Shape by Shape, also designed by Nob Yoshigahara and published in 1997. Think Tangrams and you've pretty much got an idea what this is. One of my favorites is Stormy Seas, published in 1998 and designed by Hiroshi Yamamoto. Like Rush Hour, you have a plastic board. Instead of cars, you have ships that you're moving around, but they're trapped in... Gosh, this is going to be hard to explain too. There's pieces of ocean that you put on the board with high waves and low waves. And basically when you have it on the the board set up, the boats can only ride in the low waves. All you have to do is move those pieces of ocean left and right to align the, the, the crests and the valleys in the waves. So you could get your boats moving around and get the red boat out of the ocean. Another very satisfying one for me was Metro published in 2001 designed by Oscar Van I'm sorry Oscar Van Deventer This one you've got little trains that move on a grid and there's five I'm sorry there, there's four places where you could stop and turn the train to head off in a different direction I found this one really hard and therefore really satisfying and I think I've only managed to get my way through like the first 13 or 14 of the 40 puzzles Another nice one is Hoppers. This is a game where you've got frogs and they're jumping each other and you remove them off the board. If you've ever been to Cracker Barrel and played with the pet puzzles they have at the table, you know exactly what this is. You're basically having your frogs jump other frogs to remove them off the board. And in, at the end, you should only have one red frog left and all the green ones off the board. Another very cool one is called River Crossing. Published in 2002, designed by Andrea Gilbert. Your goal is to get a hiker f across the river by walking on logs. You know, again, this has 40 different puzzles. Oh, most of these I'm talking about have 40. And you're modifying the board every time you play. In River Crossing, you're setting up logs on the board. And there's limited positions where the logs can go. There's different sized logs and they can move between different pegs. And you basically have to get across the river by moving these back and forth to to make a path. This was originally published on clickmazes.com. River Crossing also has an expansion you could buy which brings a dog and another deck of 40 puzzles. And there's also a River Crossing Junior version. Again, great for the kids. Okay, I hadn't mentioned it yet, but originally the company was called Binary Arts. In 2003, they changed their name to Think Fun. 
Anyway, the following year in 2004, they published something called Gridworks, designed by, here's a bunch of names, Scott Kim, Mark Engelberg, Bobby Burns, and Serhi Grabachuk Jr. In this, you have a, I believe it's a 3x3 three three grid, and you have X's and O's, which you have to place on the grid. Actually, you have X's, O's, and triangles. And to solve the puzzle, you'll be shown a series of grids with the pieces on there, but they're always in complete pictures. For example, in the pictures, you might see that there is a blue circle next to a green triangle, to the left of the green triangle, but you don't know where these are on the 3x3 on the three three grid. Then in the next picture, you might see that the blue circle is actually on the top row. So by going through all the pictures, you start narrowing down the positions. It's basically a logic puzzle, a fun logic puzzle. Also in 2004, they published Tip Over by James Stephen. In this one, again, you have, I think, a 6x6 six six grid, and you have these towers that you lay, you put on the board, and then there's a little guy that has to get to the red tower, or the red block. And the way you move is if you're standing on a tower, you could tip it over on the board so that it falls and now you have a wide path you could go through. For example, if the, t if the piece is three spaces tall, when it's standing up, it's just one by one. And you knock it over, and now it's three by one. And so you're knocking over these towers, just trying to get to the exit. In 2006, they published a Treasure Quest, designed by Harry Nelson. If you know what Sokoban is, you have a good idea what this is like. You have an explorer, a lot like Indiana Jones, I think. And his goal is to get these two treasure pieces off the out of the ruins. And you do it by, by sliding the treasure and different obstacles around to get them out of the way of the treasure and to a path where you could actually push the treasure out. This is a very satisfying puzzle. I think this one probably feels a bit more game-like than some of the other ones. In 2007, they published Pete's Pike, designed by Hiroshi Yamamoto. Originally, it was published in 1999 as Lunar Lockout. This is actually a lot like the game I'm going to talk about today, Ricochet Robot. In your go, you have to get peak. I'm sorry, you have to get Pete to the peak of the mountain, which is really just a flat five by five grid. And you have Pete, and I think five or six different goats that come in the game. And the the way you can move Pete and the goats is you could always move one piece towards another piece in a straight line at which point he has to stop so you're basically trying to move the goats and Pete and position them so that eventually he could get to the center I found again I found these really really hard and I think I cheated and looked at the answer for quite a few of them before I could do it I've gone back since and tried them again I've done better but not very well the last one I'm going to mention now is Hotspot this is sort of like hoppers, and you have pieces that are jumping each other, but you're not removing them off the board. Uh, the pieces are robots, and the goal is to get the red robot to the upper left corner. The pieces that you're jumping are other robots, which are either small or large. And the one restriction is you can't have two large robots next to each other, which can end up making it kind of tricky. This is fun. I don't remember this one being terribly hard, but it was definitely fun to play with it. So as I said... These are definitely worth looking into if you like puzzle games. A lot of these are very fun and they're very tactile as you're playing with pieces and moving them around. There's a few others they've published which I haven't had the chance to try yet. 
Chocolate Fixes one. There's one that I saw on their website tonight, which is a word puzzle with blocus-like pieces that you lay on top of the letters to form words. That looked really neat. I think might be the next one I try and get. They also have a number of puzzles designed for kids. One that my children like is Clever Castle. It's a lot like Gridworks, but the pieces, instead of being X's and O's, are knights and dragons and princesses. There's another one called Solitaire Chess. This one you have, I believe it's a 4x4 grid, and you have the board is set up with chess pieces, and the way you move is each turn you move one chess piece and it has to eat another piece. The pieces are moving using normal chess rules. So, for example, a rook can move any number of spaces horizontally or vertically only. A pawn, since you always have to eat, can only move diagonally. And the goal is to eat all the pieces so that you're left with one at the end. There's a version for Android. I bought that one, and it brings 400 puzzles, and I find this really fun. And I think that's it. I found this segment harder to talk about than any others yet. If it sounds like these might be interesting for you, definitely download the app for your smartphone, either Solitaire Chess or Rush Hour, and give it a try. If you've got kids, just go out and buy Rush Hour. You won't regret it. Finally, I'm going to review Ricochet Robot, designed by Alex Randolph and published in 1999 by Abigail Spiel, Hansim Gluck, Rio Grande, and a few others. This is a puzzle game for 1 through 10 players. You could probably fit more if there's space around the table and if people have good eyesight. So the game brings a board with a 16 by 16 grid, 5 robots, 4 in primary game colors, blue, red, green, and yellow, and either a black or silver robot depending on the edition you have. There's also, I think, 16 counters that come with the game with different patterns and colors on them. So on the board, there are spaces that match those counters. At the start of the game, you place all the counters face down and flip them over one at a time. When you flip over the first counter, all the players will sit around the board and try and figure out the shortest route to the space that matches that counter. If the counter is yellow, then the yellow robot has to be the one that lands on the space. If it's a blue counter, then the blue robot has to get to the space, and so on. In the multiplayer game, the players are competing to find the shortest path to that space. The length of path is determined by how many robots move. The way a robot moves is he starts where he's at and moves in a straight line until he hits the edge of the board, another robot, or a wall obstacle. That's considered one move. At that point, that robot can move again or any other robot can move in any of the four cardinal directions. So players are competing to find the shortest path to that target, and basically whoever finds a path will get that counter. At the end of the game, whoever has the most counters wins. The solitaire game, you're basically playing by yourself trying to get the shortest path you can. In the basic game, that's what you do is you flip over a counter, find the shortest path to it, and then flip another counter and try it. I forgot to mention, the game also brings a sand timer. You can only look for the path while the timer is going, and at that point, you have to commit to something. That's more or less true, I'm not going to get into the details about how that works. Anyway, there's also variants available. If you look at Board Game Geek, there's a document that has about 52 or 54 variants using the, the fifth robot. Variants do things like moving that robot 
doesn't cost you a move or that robot can go through walls. If another robot touches it, the next time the other robot goes, it could go through an obstacle. The fifth robot might be magnetic, etc., etc. So it's going to add a lot of variety to your game if you want to use it. There's also another variant somebody posted recently, which is basically you start the timer and you flip over a counter, and if you find a path by the time your timer finishes, you get the counter. If you don't find a path by that time, you put the counter to the side. At the end of the game, if you have more counters than the number you put to the side, you win. It's pretty straightforward and it'll work well because the timer's pretty short. I think it gives you a minute, maybe a minute and a half. So it'll make it a really tense game. All in all, depending on how you're gonna choose to play Ricochet Robot, it could be a pretty leisure activity or it could be a or it could be a tense experience. It has a fair amount of replayability. Because you don't know in what order you're going to flip over the counters, you don't really know where the robots are going to be at the beginning of any round. Also, you start with the robots on any space that you want. It doesn't really matter where you put them as soon as the game starts, you can start moving around. Also, the board is made up of four separate pieces, and each piece is double-sided, and you can put them together in any order. So let's say the pieces are numbered 1, 2, 3, 4. You could put them 4, 3, 1, 2, or 4, 1, 2, 3 and so on and so forth, and you could use side A or side B. Overall, even though there is replayability, the game is going to be the same thing over and over. Hmm. Also, I think it's, depending on your personality, you may or may not like the game. It tends to be kind of dry, and it's going to be for people that like puzzles, obviously. Finally, the game is still in print. You could find it retail for about $25 online for as low as 16 or so well that's the end of today's episode if you would like to contact me you can find me as fractaloon on boardgamegeek or you can email me at oneplayeralbert at gmail.com the intro music is copyright angus and is protected by a creative commons license the song and copyright information can be found at gemendo.com this show is published under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Thanks for listening.